When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken, joined as ever by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Yes, not bad. New season. New season, Steve. Got that yeah. new new season smell. Yeah, exciting, isn't it? Or at least it would be. Um, if that hadn't been Huddersfield Town's performance on, on Friday night, it was not good against Burnley, was it? It was 1-0 in the end, but I think that, that scoreline probably flattered Town quite considerably, particularly on the strength of the first half. Yeah, and I think there were improvements second half, but I I don't think it improved much. Um, I think there's a there's a hell of a lot to talk about from this game tactically and uh, going into it. But um, yeah, it was it was a little bit underwhelming, wasn't it? Very much so. I, I think you could see what Huddersfield Town were trying to do. Uh, they they were pressing very high. It became quite clear within the first minute or so that that the midfield was going to press on and, and and try and hassle Burnley off the ball. They, they basically had, as he described for us last week, basically a 4-4-2 out of possession. Dwayne Holmes was up there with, with Danny Ward and you had the midfield four as well, which was Silver Thomas, John Russell, Jonathan Hogg and Josh Caroma all joining that press as well. But unfortunately, as they pressed up, it left a massive gap in behind between the defence and the midfield. And Burnley constantly got into those gaps and looked to make things happen and had Town under pressure for pretty much the whole first half. Second half, they were, you know, there there were fewer chances for Burnley in terms of clear-cut opportunities, but Town didn't really produce much on either. Where do you want to start, Dave? (laughs) Well, I I think, I I mean, obviously we're going to get into Town, but I think we should probably both just have a word about Burnley, who, they they, like, we're going to get into how bad town were at certain things but Burnley were really good weren't they and they I think for a side who've put so many new signings in like it's incredible how quickly they've gelled Mm. and how coherent they looked and how they've adapted to a different style of football so like all I'm trying to say is I think long term I mean I think in uh in my one to twenty-four table predictions for the other pod, uh, I think I had Burnley second. I'm not sure if I'm one place out there already. Ninety minutes into the season, yeah, they were really good, and uh, you know that does bear saying. But I think as good as they were, and you know they played some very classy stuff. They were very intricate. They, they, they were bold in attack. They, they got some nice pat- passing patterns going in the final third. All of those things. And they did a really good job of beating the town press as well uh, with their two sort of deeper line midfielders, both doing a, a really, really good job. But I think it was one of those situations where, you know, the, the towns being bad almost didn't have a huge amount to do with Burnley being good. They were almost mm-hmm. two, two distinct things on this occasion, which doesn't often happen in games, I don't think. But it was it, it felt that way to me anyway. Yeah, I think we need to start right right at the beginning. And I think the team selection was, I, I kind of get it because of 
I, I think the thing about the team selection is I think Schofield went for players he thought... I mean, look at the context, right? Friday night, first game of the season, live on TV, at home, first game as a manager. I'm not surprised he went for names in inadvertent commas he felt he could trust. You know, the 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 bulk of the team from last season, let's be honest. But I think it was the wrong selection because... There was, there was. We'll get into the tactical side in a minute, but I, I just think there was one or two players in there who were just falling into too many fairly obvious traps, and there, there was not enough energy on that pitch, was there for me? No, there wasn't. Not enough mobility, at least to to sort of cope with the Burnley constantly getting in between the midfield and the defence. You know, you, you need that. That bit of, of recovery pace if you're going to play such a high line or or you need to move the defence further up. I think I can understand why they didn't push the defence on because I think we saw already that Burnley were getting in behind too regularly. Uh, so I, I sort of get that. But, you know, you, you need to offer some protection if you're going to play that high or have players that are capable of, of getting back. And, you know, as, as, as much as Hogg and Russell both have good qualities uh that isn't something you would particularly pick them out as as no. being you know exceptional like, is it, to put it and it was there. the the way they've played in pre-season the way they've done it in pre-season was different to how they they set up on friday which was in pre-season you haven't had ross russell and hogg together you've had russell playing slightly higher hogg being the sitting midfielder so it's been it's basically been a 4-1-4-1 and quite a distinct 4-1-4-1 that was a 4-4-2 and you had two lines of four and you had a big gap between the lines and the problem is with Russell and Hogg together is that there's just as you said there's just not enough recovery pace there there's not there's not enough energy there's there's plenty of plenty of aggression and plenty of physicality but that's no good to you if the player's five yards away <laughs> That's that's the that's the the big problem, and as you pointed out to me at half time, the other big problem was just those gaps between the defence and the midfield, and then the midfield to Danny Ward. You know, it was yeah. it, it really was. Uh, I hate to say it, but in Mike Bassett style, it was four four bleeping two at one point, and it just it was too easy to play against, wasn't it? Yeah, because that, that that was it. it. If they did, if Burnley did get through the lines and they managed to sort of get up against the town back four, the midfield would drop in, and then, as you say, that there was that gap would then not be between the midfield and the defence; it would be between the midfield and the attack, and they had sort of nothing to to play through, and so. You know they were constantly getting put on the back foot, and then if they did win the ball and defend defend their box, they then found it very difficult to get up the pitch. I think you know this is you don't want to sort of dwell on the past or anything, but they they really did miss Lewis O'Brien on both ends of that in this game. I think, and I think there are ways that they can play that compensate for the fact that Lewis O'Brien isn't there anymore. You know they've brought different players in for the final third and we'll get onto a couple of those later um who I think can can help with those things and you can you can change things up but you know you you really did miss you know you you might have been able just about to get away with that system with with a Lewis O'Brien in there but without him they were on a hide into nothing unfortunately yeah I thought their outballs were particularly poor and I, I know Burnley cut the channels and they made it very difficult. And the thing about that four-two-two-two system 
is it does congest the middle, but it also gives players constant doubling up when they do have to drop outside to cover the flanks. And I just don't think Town reacted to it or knew how to set up against it. And they were just, it, it wasn't just that. I just felt all across the pitch, they were just so sloppy in possession. Yeah. You know, they uh, they lost possession 63 times. Burnley lost possession 83 times. So you go, okay, you look at that and you go, okay, well, Burnley were pretty sloppy. Yeah, but Burnley had the ball 73% of the first yeah. half. This is just the first half alone. So Town lost it 63 times and only had it for a quarter of the time that Burnley did. And the, the passing accuracy, like the passing accuracy was down at 67%. Long balls were down at 50%. That's, we've not seen that from Town for quite a while, that, that just general level of sloppiness on the ball. And it wasn't just the fact they were under pressure. I think they were... They couldn't get out. They were hampered by the system. They they didn't have enough pace. They didn't have enough energy. And just they got caught in a world where nothing was working. So nobody quite knew what to do about it. Um, and it was, it, it, there's, there's no other way to put it, but it was a worrying first half. It really was. Yeah, they were all at six and sevens. I thought, you know, even Silver Thomas was was struggling to get things going. John Russell's touch was eluding him. And we know how calm he is normally, uh, but he was, you know, sloppy on the ball. Um, Josh Caroma, I thought, was was really bad throughout. Uh, I, I don't think he was a huge amount worse than Silver Thomas' first half, but Thomas at least picked up in the second half, which Caroma didn't before he went off. You know, Holmes and Ward, I, I've some sympathy for because they were virtually passengers in the game, but I thought, they probably could have used Holmes better. I mean, I was I was really surprised that they didn't, seeing how easily they were getting torn apart over the first 20 minutes even, let alone, you know, as the first half continued to progress. I was really surprised that they didn't drop Dwayne Holmes into a more out-and-out midfield role and, and mm-hmm. put Hogg into a, a holding role. Because even if you're just doing that to sort of stem the tide until half-time, that, that felt like the thing to do. The four one four one. That's mm-hmm. that's literally what they played at Donny and what they what they played at uh, Bolton. So, yeah, and the goal I think was um, like the goal was was not down to any one individual error. It was just down to a lack of speed of thought from like three or four players. I thought um, Turton's trying to show his man down the line, and he just gives him too much space to come inside. Ashley Barnes is just very big, physical, strong, and just upsets the defenders. And then in the end, it's it's a very good finish as well. Um, she can't take anything away, but do have a sneaking suspicion, Steve, that if Burnley had a proper number nine, a proper out-and-out striker rather than just Ashley Barnes who's sort of trying to fight people, it, it could have been two or three nil at halftime, couldn't it? Yeah, I think they're quite lucky not to be several goals down by the break to be honest you know I, I, I messaged you at 17 minutes past eight I can see here so before Burnley even scored and said you know the first team to stick a number 10 in that gaping hole um, against town is is gonna batter them and you know it, it probably should have been Burnley that did it they had two or three other chances that that they wasted and one where Lee Nichols made an excellent save one where Lee, uh, Tom Lees had to make a, a really good challenge uh that i think some at home were saying is that a penalty um i don't think he got the man or the ball particularly for me but but there you go but you know it it, it could have been worse for them as i say that the, the scoreline did flatter them they they were a bit better after the break i think we can't 
um, it's important not to sort of overstate the level of the improvement because they still only managed one shot in that second half, none on target, that they still didn't play particularly well. But um, there was at least some sign of improvement. Tino Andrian in particular looked very really promising, um, at least looked like he would, he might be able to do something. Unfortunately, couldn't do it all on his own. thought Jack Ridoni was a clear improvement on Josh Caroma as well. And tactically, they made changes as well. You know, that Russell and Hogg were clearly instructed to stay a little bit deeper and leave the more attacking players to, to do what they do. I think that there are at least some signs in that second half. Not many of them, but a few little signs where you can go, okay, well, we've we've at least got something to work with here. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think they looked a lot better with the change of personnel and the switch into a 4-2-3-1, which which suited them. Um, And I thought, you know, exactly as you said, I thought Tino provided a bit of life, a bit of energy. Um, I thought Jack Radoni impressed me from the point of view of how willing he was to get involved. Um, mm-hmm. He was he was desperate to get on the ball, which is good to see. You know, didn't particularly do anything with it, but that was an encouraging start, I would say. Uh, I think David Kasumu, we saw his <laughs> his career today in <laughs> in, in one minutes, performance yeah. really, which was came on, snapped into two tackles, and looked really really good, uh, really aggressive, really promising got booked, got injured um, and to be fair that free kick that they hit the post from and I think that's where he picked the injury up Like it was a fair tackle to be fair to him, mm. it was a fair tackle but the, these are quite slim pickings because yeah. their passing accuracy remained exactly the same 67%, you know, long balls was, was 50%, they Still only had 35% possession. As you said, they still didn't manage to create anything for Danny Ward. I mean, I saw I saw one or two people criticising Danny Ward's performance. It was like he had absolutely nothing to work with. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Same with Holmes. And, I, you know, they lost possession again 71 times in the second half. Burnley 75. But Burnley had the ball 65% of the time. It was It was not a great performance by any stretch and it was it was it was worrying what what I think the worrying aspects for me were and what we need to see this as the sort of baseline and not return to this really was some of the old Huddersfield town problems that we've been talking about since we started doing this podcast were all there sort of writ large in that game you know only one cross out of 10 found a man and that's that's not good enough. They didn't create anything centrally at all. Nothing through the middle. Like their passing accuracy was was sloppy. They were they were up against a team who were just happy to sort of pass around them. And it, to be fair, bear in mind, Town only had thirty one percent possession overall. There were times where Burnley were actually happy to let them have possession and step off them, knowing they would win it on the outball as well. So. Yeah, it was a bit of a worrying performance, but I was pleased to see Schofield react and change things second half because I think if they'd have just carried on doing mm-hmm. it, that that's what drove me and you mad about Carlos's first season, wasn't it? That just doing the same thing and hoping it gets better. Yeah, exactly. He did admit that they got it wrong tactically. And in a weird way, you know, I think everything you say is right there. You know, they're trying to play this high-energy style that they didn't have the players to to no. bear that out maybe i i don't know what i can think is maybe he just wants to wanted to get them doing it anyway and because 
you know, it's early in the season. It's a slightly new tweak to the style. He'll hope they'll get better at it over the time. Maybe this is just a, you know, a necessary teething issue. But I think what you can't put down to the teething issues is things like, you know, the passing accuracy. You know, that they're trying to play this... I don't know. I feel like they were neither one thing nor the other because you didn't have yeah. the personnel to play this high-energy, high-tempo, high-risk style where you can probably get away with, you know, your, your passion accuracy doesn't matter if your your balls are coming off and you're taking risks and they're, they're paying off as often as they need to. But they also didn't have the personnel to play that style. And, you know, you look at that team and think, well, they could probably have, maybe not against Burnley, but have played a more patient passing style in those circumstances with that selection. That might have suited them better, but they weren't good at that either, which is, yeah, a big worry. But for me, it was more, I would say it was 80% tactical, 20% execution for me on this occasion. Um, Certainly the problems they had first half, less so second half, where maybe it was the other way around. But I almost feel in a weird way, and and famous last words. This, uh, this could well come back to bite me because it is a bit of a, an odd thing to say, but I kind of feel like the problems were so glaring that I almost feel like they might be easier to fix. <laughs> in in yeah. a weird way, do you know what I mean? Like yeah, when it's when it's such an obvious issue, it's like well, if you can put that right, then you should get a massive improvement just from fixing that one thing. It's it's not like sort of two three years ago where there were 50 small things they needed to fix maybe that'll you know we'll see how the next few games go perhaps that analysis will change um as we go through those games but that was that's sort of how i felt about this one Mm, yeah i I completely agree with that and i i think it's it's worth like on on a sort of what's been a very negative opening (coughs) 20 minutes i think another little positive we need to point to is that i know he's my boy but I thought Romani was was one of the better town players on mm-hmm. the pitch on the day. I thought he did really well to come in, um, and his stats bear it out as well. His stats are actually better than Tom Lee's on the day. But I do think they have an issue with Pearson out for what what we know is sort of the medium to long term at this point. We don't have a definite on it. Months um, is, is yeah. what we're looking at, though, yeah. yeah. Uh, having that left-side player, whether they... Whether it's you two, uh, Nakayama, who comes in there and plays on the left, I think they have to find a way to get Lees on the right because he did yeah, look uncomfortable well. in a four on the left. Um, he didn't look quite as composed and quite as, as happy as he normally does. And even more so when you've got sort of Russell and Hogg in front of him, so he's going to have that space. He wants to be able to go into that space and attack that space if he has to with a little bit more confidence than he than he had really. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think the problems are quite solvable because they are they were so big. But uh, yeah, it was it was a it was it was a tough start to the season against a very good side, and you know we're trying to pull the odd positive out of it, but. In truth, there there wasn't many. And what would you do with the fullbacks in the next game? Because I thought I thought both of them were slightly caught between two stalls mm. against Burnley. Neither of them were particularly able to get forward a huge amount, were they? No. You know, I think 
Josh Ruffles had by far the most touches of any town player when I looked at it the other day. Um, and yet I don't remember him doing a huge amount in attack. I remember him being very busy defensively. Um, but he he was pretty prosaic on the ball. It's not like he was making sort of loads of runs. But then, you know, the system they were playing, I think the fullbacks were playing with a leash on them, which is, again, we talked about that last week. That wasn't unexpected. Um, they're not going to be maybe as adventurous as we saw last season and certainly not as adventurous as when they were playing wing-backs. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm not I mean, I'm not sure what I would do with the fullbacks to be honest um because i think it i think first and foremost you have to work out what you're doing with the midfield before you can mm. decide how you're you're changing the the fullbacks but i i mean i would be tempted to try and get Tino Andrin in from the start try and get Jack Rodoni in from the start if you're going to play Hogg and Russell together and if Kasumu was fit i'm not sure i would i think i'd be tempted to to drop one or the other and put Kasumu in there because i think we saw even just from the 15 minutes he had and obviously from the scout we did from him at mk dons he's much more he is that that energetic player that we talked about earlier who has that recovery pace and has that you know that energy and that vigor um so hopefully that injury doesn't turn out to be bad we obviously we spoke to Danny Schofield after the game and he didn't know because it had happened so late in the game so mm. you know it's not like they'd given him a scan and, and a prognosis in the five minutes but yeah I mean if if he's fit I think I'd be tempted to get him in and I think if you have Hogg and Kasumu in the side I think you could probably afford to be a bit more adventurous with the fullbacks yeah definitely I I, I think that switch to a four-two-three-one potentially I think having uh, having Hogg sitting with I think maybe perhaps even Dwayne Holmes, who I know didn't have the greatest of games, but he was pushed so high, you know, it was really, really difficult. But just getting a runner next to Hogg, maybe drop Russell to the bench and then have Radoni as a 10. Andrew in to come in in place of Karoma and play inverted and, and have Sorma as your true winger. They've, they've got an issue with Josh Karoma because mm-hmm. he has played through pre-season and I said to you after the Bolton game he's just trying too hard and I don't think it's a confidence thing I think he's still he's still there or there he still believes in himself but he just can't seem to put a one two and a three together and you know there was like that chance first half where he cut inside and he tried the shot he literally had like four men in front of him lined up you know the shot was never in a million years on now I'm not against anyone coming in and having a go but just his decision making at the moment Steve it's just not there is it no overthinking is what it looks like to me yeah more than anything else there was the other one in the second half where you know he was in a decent position and and he was he he seems to be waiting to see what the defenders are going to do and I know you need to I know that you need to slow down so you can then have that change of pace because you want to do that slow down make the defender slow down then change your pace because you're backing your own acceleration to be better than theirs but he's slowing down to the point where it's like okay you you, you should have, if you were going to do the change of pace thing, you should have done it already. You've taken yeah. two extra touches because he looks like he's just watching the defenders and seeing what they're going to do more than putting his head up to see what teammates are doing or making a decision about what he's doing himself. So, and then, you know, the, and that results in things like that's, I think, just before he went off, wasn't it, where he was in the box and he could have beaten his man and was sort of, you know, shimmying a little bit and then try to knock it down the outside of the defender and just hit it straight out of play because <laughs> he, he just 
God. Yeah, this is exactly it. You know, like 15 touches in the game and he lost possession eight times. Yeah. And that's, like, I, I think you hit the nail bang on the head. I think it's decision-making and it's that, that over... I think he's overthinking things, overcomplicating things. And it's... I, I I don't know how you put it right at this stage because this this isn't a new thing with Josh Caroma, mm. is it? It's something we saw last season as well. So I don't know if it if it it's Tino Andrew in timeout on the left or or what really longer term. But I just I I just don't think you can start him again against Birmingham as is. No, I agree. I think I think Andrew needs to start if he can, and yeah. I mean, one of the thing that one of the things that came up on Twitter actually that I wanted to get your opinion on um, was a lot of people say criticizing the preseason schedule and doing the double headers and doing things that way and feeling that that had cost the opportunity to to get a bit of cohesion into the team. W- would you go along with that? No, I wouldn't. Um, I I think like there are a lot of clubs who've had a very weird preseason this time because it like it's it's been so weirdly truncated even though the the league's only starting a week earlier but because of various reasons particularly for Huddersfield Town with going to the playoff final yeah you know there wasn't there wasn't really much other choice other than sort of playing a game every three days where you would likely have had to have done the first team mostly B team thing anyway um because you've got you've got the players on the 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 rationale behind it was that you want to have the players on um on the same recovery schedule so everyone plays on the saturday everyone has the recovery day monday and then everyone's back in training on on sorry on sunday and then everyone's back in training on the on the monday so that's the idea behind it and i think that does make sense because it's then you've got more time as a group on the training ground even Mm. if you've got less time as a group um in the friendlies and, and you like it's not like they the, it's not like they flew off to Spain and had a load of travel they kept everything very localized and they were trying to I don't particularly think they looked that undercooked I thought they just looked like a team um who have had a short pre-season which is exactly what they are and exactly what a few other teams are I think the difference with Burnley is they've had a lot of players, they've got a lot of players in, and some of them have come from, you know, like Howard Bellis, etc. They've come from youth football, so they're not coming off the back of a really long season anyway. A lot of those town players played the longest season possible by going to the final day. Then they've only had literally like, you know, 10 days, two weeks. Sorba Thomas didn't look like Sorba Thomas but he was given a bit of extra time because of his workload last season and because of his time with Wales and everything else it it, it does take a bit of time but I no I don't think it's scheduling at all because I don't know how else you could do it there are lots of teams of which I believe Burnley are one of them um, who have struggled to work out where to get the games in. So their pre-season schedule has been a bit odd, but I believe they've played a lot of games behind closed doors to try and get ready against various teams. It's You have to find a way to do it. And I, no, I don't think it's the pre-season schedule. I think, it's a, like, I think that's one of those things it's quite easy to just jump on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just... 
And I don't... The other thing is, I mean, I made this point in my sort of analysis of pre-season. I don't think you can judge anything on pre-season either. I saw a lot of people saying, you know, oh, we couldn't even beat sort of Doncaster or Bolton. Like, it doesn't... Pre-season doesn't matter, you know. Pre-season results don't matter. They're, they're yeah, training... Yeah, friendly don't matter, yeah. They're training sessions that, in my opinion, fans shouldn't even be allowed into because it's just... <laughs> I, I've never, I've never known a summer where people have sort of been so quick to make like big conclusions from pre-season friendlies, and I'm not just talking about town here. I'm talking Premier League teams as well. But no, I don't, I don't, I don't see that as an issue. I, I just think good team. They picked a bad system, and they just got caught a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights on the night. I think that's my honest take on it. If it's repeated, then it's a problem, yeah. isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, that's it. where I am with it. Exactly. We are, you know, we are holding back a bit. It's not that we think that that was, you know, an acceptable performance. I think even second half where we're trying to say they were improving, I think they barely rose the level of passable, if that. Yeah. So it's not like we're, you know, <laughs> sitting here pretending like everything's fine. But I think, as I say... I think you need to sort of give them a chance to address the, the clear issues that were there because there has been that, that change in the style of play, because they've got new personnel that they want to get bedded in. And it's not just sort of, you know, it's not, oh, Yutanaki Yama can go in at centre-back and that's going to solve everything. We're talking about players like Jack Rudoni and, and Tino Andrian and, you know, Conor Mahoney could could come into the squad, make an impact, David Kasumu. You know, these these are players that would play in those midfield or attacking roles who we haven't seen much of um, from this opening game. So, yeah, I, and I think Birmingham are a different, you know, I think them and, and Burnley are probably at opposite ends of the table come the end of the season. I think it's fair to say, although Birmingham got a, a very creditable uh, result at the weekend, to be fair to Yeah. Them. And the word of caution is that I think it looks like Birmingham's game plan this season is to be really, really difficult to beat and break yeah. down. So that's that's my word of caution going into that game because it just feels like a home game. They may well be fairly determined not to uh, not to lose that one. We'll we'll see. But you know, Town went there last season and and played them off the park. So it is going to be a marker. I think it would be fair to say, and I don't think they're going to have like a rake of new signings in or anything like that. So it is one of those rare away games where Town really have to target three points, don't they? Definitely. I mean, what what would you do for the next game? What what do you think they need to to change? I I think the four. I think into the four two three one. I think Nakayama on the left and and Lee's so you've got him on the right there. Even though I genuinely don't think Edmunds Green did anything wrong, I thought he had a, a good game I would I would put I would keep Hogg over Russell at the moment because I think um, Town are trying to play a a different way and I know Russell is a threat from set pieces but I think at the moment you want Hogg in front of the back two um, just to do a little bit of mind sweeping Mm -hmm. and I'd actually put Holmes next to him um, and he wouldn't play next to him he'd play a little bit higher in the sense but I think he's got the energy and the engine to actually play you know five or ten yards in front of Hogg and do do one and a half men man's job and then yeah like um, like T- Ashton Kutcher yes yeah I'd ha- I knew you were going to go there I'd yeah. have Tino and I'd have Tino and Sorba wide from the start Radoni is a 10 and Ward up front but I think Radoni and Tino I think y- you would see them swap over a little bit drop into each other's roles there a little bit as well and I think you set out to go for it. I, I think 
not losing is not the position you start this game from. I think you set out and and you try to you try to win this one. Um, but I like I think it's important for us both to say we're not particularly worried, are we? We're not sitting here saying, "Oh God, after ninety minutes, that's it. It's going to be a relegation season or anything like that." As you said, I I think there are fairly obvious changes you can make that sort a lot of the issues out, aren't there? There, I mean, you you mentioned you nominate Hog um, Holmes there to partner Hog uh, or play just in front of him. Really, I, I wonder if Tino Andrin might go there because mm. you know he he was he, <laughs> I think he was just behind Ruffles and as the town player who made the most tackles on the day. And bear in mind, he came in came on after yeah. fifty five minutes. Um, you know, he he was driving through the middle. I think he's got that, you know, if he's got one thing, it's energy and drive and the ability to carry the ball. I think he might be worth a look in that number eight role rather than sort of a number 10 role. I'm not sure, for me, up front, I'm, I sort of understand the principle behind having two players up there for the press. We've seen mm. how well that can work, but I would have liked to have seen Holmes dropping into more of a conventional number 10 role mm. rather than rather than he was almost playing as a second striker rather than an attacking midfielder for a lot of that game. I would quite like to see them have someone playing more of an out and out number 10. Anjan is obviously a candidate for that role as well. Rudoni can play there. Holmes could could do it, but I, I so think you I would. In, you put in Radoni left. Yeah, I think so. In this system, if you know, I, I think it sort of depends on the system. If you were sticking with a a four one four one, then I would have Radoni left and Andrew in the middle. If you're playing a conventional four two three one, um, I might swap them. I might have Radoni in attack midfield and. And Andrew on the left, and and then sort of stick with what you said. And uh, I mean, as I say, I would have Kasumu actually rather than rather than Russell uh, or Holmes. But it depends if he's fit, doesn't it? So, yeah, it it didn't. To be fair, he called to go straight off. He called yeah. it himself. So I he think was. Friday, they were about to. They were about to make another sub, weren't they? And he stopped the sub. Yeah. So that he could so he I, could I, go off. Friday feels like it might be certainly mm. too soon to play it ninety does. minutes if he is available. So, yeah. which is a shame because, as I said, I think even in that short cameo, you saw a lot of what he what he can bring um, when he's fit. So, yeah, I we'll see. I I, I just I just hope that a lot of town fans I saw on sort of Twitter and making comments on Facebook for our examiner page, etc., are extremely negative after that and I I completely get it it's fine football's an emotive game and everything but it is only 90 minutes as I said it's it's we both said it in the Facebook live after the game didn't we that really that needs to be sort of a baseline doesn't it that needs yeah yeah, that needs to be the bottom yeah the the nadir that they don't repeat you know that's where the upward trajectory begins you would hope (laughs) yeah um yeah I agree I I I sort of my gut feeling on Friday coming away from the game was that was an awful performance, but I still think they'll be all right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and and just because of, as I say, the issues are so glaring, they still have those new signs that could come in. They might have to dip into the transfer market for a, a Pearson replacement. 
uh, which might be a bit harsh on Roman Edmonds Green, to be honest. But I think I think because they consider Nakayama, I think they sort of see him as a half and half player who can mm. play. They see him as half a player in two positions rather than a whole player in one position. So I sort of understand why they want to keep why they would want to have five centre backs rather than four. Um, but uh, I think I don't know what what would you do with that signing because I sort of feel like a younger player with a bit more pace in on loan would probably be better than trying to get another Lees or Pearson type not just for for the longer term but also if they are going to play this high pressing style and you know I wouldn't abandon all of those principles based on this there's tweaks they need to make obviously but high pressing game is a perfectly valid way to play but I think if you're going to play it you you need to have you ideally want to be able to move that defensive line up a bit higher and I think that probably calls for a, a bit of a, a quicker centre back than, than the options they have at the moment it does but I think you have to be slightly cautious of playing a high line with Tom Lees anyway um, yeah. because as brilliant as he is and uh, like for me he was sort of we discussed last season to death but he was well up there as player of the season for me uh, like his his pace is not his greatest asset at this point so I don't I don't know. I think it's a tricky one because the problem is you go and get say you go and get another Premier League loan, right? So you go and get a Levi Colwell and you have got someone with a bit of pace there. You've also still got Will Boyle, Nakayama, mm-hmm. uh, Romani Edmonds Green, Tom Lees. So you've still got four people who can play at centre back and Hogg who can drop in to make a three as well. So they are, it's not like they're sort of drastically short now Pearson's gone. And Pearson is going to be months, but he will be back at some point. So I think it's quite a difficult one to just go and recruit to because a Premier League side wants to loan out a player to play because otherwise, why why are you bothering? You may as well keep them on your training ground and working with your staff, etc. So, again, it's a slightly difficult one to solve, I think. Um, I might be sorely tempted for the next couple of weeks to, to do absolutely nothing and uh, see if you can tinker with, with what you've got. As I said, maybe Nakayama and Lees is, is worth a look for a couple of weeks. Maybe you, you put your eggs in the reg basket, mm. um, you know. But it just feels like if they, if they, <laughs> if they get uh, somebody in, there is that... I'm slightly conscious of the fact that it just pushes people further away from the first team that are already not first choice. And squad harmony and squad balance is a thing, isn't it? It is. I was a bit surprised when he said that they would look to to get someone in, but given that they are, I think that was that would be how I approached it. But I mean, if they if they are going to play Nakayama as a centre back, then. Do they need to look at another left back signing, or do they think that Ben yeah. Jackson is is that backup? I don't know. Um, it just I don't know. I, it just feels like it's as I say, not a huge vote of faith in Romani Edmonds Green <laughs> that they that they've lost Pearson and and now want to to sign effectively a replacement for him. When I wouldn't have thought, you know, Pearson, I, I didn't have him as my first choice right sided centre back anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Um, Unless they simply envisioned him and Lee's playing as the two. We'll just have to see how it plays out. I mean, we do still have another month of the transfer window. Does that game change your thinking at all on, on anything else or any other kinds of signings that they might need to bring in? No, because I, I think you need a proper sample size. So I think I think 
really I, I like I don't think there's going to be a trolley dash on the final day at Huddersfield Town anyway I just think there's absolutely no chance of that um, but I, I think you need to give it another couple of weeks and if who knows what could happen you know if if Kasuma's injury suddenly turned out to be bad or something somebody else goes down then really you've got to you've got to look at where you need to plug holes but I think that, at the that's, moment that's my big concern is if Kasuma is out then suddenly I'm looking at that and thinking they could do with a midfielder who has his sort of skill yeah. set mm. yeah um annoying so that the are... sense got high out <laughs> yeah uh but there are there are questions but yeah I'd I'd be like it's 90 minutes and as as much as we've criticized them it is 90 minutes and they have worked on their recruitment over the summer they they I think you have to give yeah you have to have the faith in the things that you believe are going to work um I just I don't know that I still think they could do with a striker slash number 10 mm. but we spoke about last week about how difficult that role is actually to recruit for and nothing has changed it is still very difficult i don't know i i honestly don't know i i think after i think another fortnight you have to look sort of seriously and see where you are if if town of i don't know first if they lose their first three games and get knocked out of the league cup then it's a different story isn't it and you have to look at it from a different way but yeah, I'm more of a. I need a bigger sample size at the moment. What about you? Yeah, I think a Teddy Sheringham type striker. If they are going to play that four four two, you know, someone who's going to sit just behind late forties overweight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, questionable politics. No, I think. Um, I think no, just someone who's who can sit just behind Ward, who's still there, sort of primarily for for the press, but. <laughs> can also drop in and, and link the play basically do the role that Holmes was playing um in in that first half but do it more naturally you know I said that I said in the conclusions I disagree with the idea they need to sign a striker I don't think they need an out and out number nine because they've got two um good options there already but I think if they were going to sign a forward player then someone who could drop off a little bit and play that number 10 role um would be would be useful but as you say it's a it's a hard one to recruit for and again they may well you know that they have players in the squad who are um able to do that uh if if that's what they want to do yeah i i think they need to there's obvious lessons to take away from this is the this is the final point i think and i think they need to decide what you know, I think we've talked about a few players there who have one or two different roles that they could play. And I think a big step for them is working out what their best position is. Yeah. You know, we've we've had it with Holmes. We've had it, we've talked about it with Rudoni, with Angerin, with Nakayama. There's, there's probably, if you can get a bit of clarity on where they're best playing and how they're best used, then I think the best shape and the best approach probably comes naturally from that. Mm. I, we, I think we said it last week as well. I think that one of the big things is I don't think Danny Schofield knows his best eleven. That's that's the thing. He doesn't know his best eleven and the formation he thinks best suits his style yet. Um, and he's only going to find that through a bit of trial and error. Um, so we're gonna. I th- I think there might be one or two days like Burnley. Hopefully not quite as um, being outplayed to quite that degree. But you know there there are going to be. I think it'll be a slight roller coaster this this season. Um, but yeah, I think we we should probably talk a little bit about Dean Hoyle's comments as well, shouldn't we? Yeah, go for it. Well, I, I think 
Dean has come out and offered his update, and it was repeated in the program notes as well. I think one or two people are quite worried about the figure of a ten million pound loss and player sales reducing that, etc. I think that I think the problem is it's quite. I'm not saying this is a good situation, but that's quite a usual situation in the championship, mm-hmm. and it is a far, far better situation than several clubs I think are in. I when think I looked at it is, the other, when I looked at it the other day, I think that if you go on like each club's most recent accounts, I think there are two championship clubs that hadn't turned a loss um, over the most recent season. He is talking about the cash loss as well, rather than the number that appears on the profit and loss sheet, which I know is confusing for a lot of people, but they are different things. It is possible to have um, a profit number that that looks like one thing and a cash number that that shows something else completely different um, because of the way that money is recognised and accounting practices and things like that. There's plenty of places you can read about this if you're interested, but that is an important thing to note, I think. Yeah, I I just think that, like, I think a lot of people have taken it as town are in trouble potentially, and I, you know, I don't think they are. It's it's it is football is a mad business i mean why anybody would invest in football i have no idea and when you get to this sort of championship level and you are trying to compete to become a top 30 club then the figures get ridiculous and get quite eye-watering but i think i think the point he was trying to make that i think some people took something different from was i think he was just trying to reassure people that it's not a terrible position and he's there um and he's going to be stewarding the club forward and there's there's nothing to worry about i think a few people from what i've seen online and a bit of chatter have taken it the other way and think it's uh it's a very serious issue and something that's got to be dealt with it's it's just where huddersfield town are at the moment and you know they will use player sales and player training to try and off offset those losses that is that is football at this level isn't it yeah there's you know i think as i say the the championship is a one of the strangest leagues because you've got the the pull of the premier league and the money that you get from the premier league is so vastly vastly more you know (laughs) multiples times more than you get in the championship it sort of encourages everyone to you know i think that's that's sort of nature down the league and across europe you see clubs doing that but i think it's particularly virulent in the championship and yeah i think you're right i mean what hoyle was saying was you know that is the position we're in when we're being sort of careful and i'm willing to put in the money to to prop that up if need be he did say he didn't want it ideally to be more than uh three to five million pounds a season that he's putting in mm. rather than 10 um but um yeah I, I then i wouldn't have any worries about the future of the club or anything like that um and i think you know the buy low sell high buy more low sell more high you know sort of production line is something that that every club pretty much aspires to you know that there isn't a club in the world that doesn't have to sell their best players every now and then you know mm-hmm. Liverpool have just sold Sadio Mane and you know Man City have just sold Raheem Sterling and Bayern Munich are selling Robert Levin have sold Robert Lewandowski you know it is a, a fact of life um, unfortunately in football players want to move on players want the next big thing and I think especially in the championship you're gonna get that I think that is not an issue in itself the issue is you know 
are you able to keep replacing those players? And I think Town's track record in the transfer market has been excellent over the last 18 months. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, spending smart is much better than spending big. There's there's no point in going and spending a load of money on um, on players who who can't do it, as Town found out when they're in the Premier League. Mm. And, <laughs> and on the other side of it, you know, talking about selling players... You look at Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich, mm-hmm. one of their big problems at both clubs over the past sort of decade or so is that they have been really, really bad at selling players. And so they haven't, you know, that they've not attracted transfer fees for basically anyone, which then makes it harder to spend money in the longer term. And yeah, I, I think Dean Hoyle is a bit of a, you know, he's a very sensible businessman in an industry that, that where people mm-hmm. want dreams. And I think there's always going to be a bit of a, a disconnect because of that. But, you know, if there's one thing Dean Oyle knows how to do, it's run a business. Mm, yeah. So I I think I think it's just worth mentioning because it's worth just allaying a few people's fears because I think there was a little bit of... I think a lot of people took the opposite from the comments that I think were, were there. If they're going to buy low and sell high, that does put a lot on Scott High's shoulders, to be honest, over the next decade. Just leaving that one, yeah. Yeah, and it's pronounced and it's pronounced Lerva, not low. <laughs> there you go. There's your gag. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, right, Birmingham on Friday. As I say, I think it's going to be. You know, they're not the side Burnley were, but as you say, they they've set up in that sort of three at the back five, that is really a five. They got a nil nil draw against Luton at the weekend, which, as we know, is sort of no mean feat. Um, but I feel like. And we always say any point in the championship is a good point, and I think we need to bear that in mind. But the performance is the main thing more than the result for me on on Friday. Um, We need to see Mm -hmm. something better, something different from Huddersfield Town uh, on Friday evening. Yeah, (laughs) very, very much so. I... I, um... I'm I'm totally with you on that. I, like if it was if it was a one-one draw, but Town were all over them and looked really good, that'd be absolutely fine, no issue whatsoever. It I, I think what they do have to do, I think what we do have to recognise, Steve, is they have to play to win that game. They have to set out to to try and get something from that game, um, and that's that's what we want to see, really. Certainly is right. We'll be back with you next time. Thank you for joining us, Dave. What is your musical tip this week? I'm still just listening to a load of mid '90s rap music, and I can't recommend it highly enough. I'm cut. Well, I, I'm I also listening to some early '90s stuff. I'm having watched straight out of Compton again the other week. So you, you shouted out Wu Tang Clan last week. Is, is there anyone in particular this week? Oh, I, I tell you, I've been really enjoying early '90s tribe called Quest. Have a get on that. Basically, every everyone's a winner. There you go. Uh, for me, the Grace Ives album, Janky Star, is a nice little summer pop album. Nothing too big. It's not a Dua Lipa or anything, but it's just very pleasant uh, if you're on a drive. So that's my tip. And we will see you next time. Bye. Who's